Riley here, special edition of the No Spin News, an analysis of President Trump's speech accepting the Republican nomination for president. So I got notes all over the place here. Um, spoke for more than an hour. I give it a B. It could have been shorter. It was redundant. He went over repetitive, you know, stuff. But two themes emerged, and I'll get to that. Two big picture themes, and this gives you an idea of how he's going to campaign uh, in the fall. First of all, he looked good. All right, he got a haircut. Uh, suit was good, crisp. White House was a good setting. Uh, looked good, sounded good. Didn't look tired or worn out. So the presentation visually worked. Uh, they had a big crowd on the White House lawn, about 1,500 people. Most of them didn't wear masks. And you know that's what CNN will do all day long. Uh, but they don't, they'll ignore the speech because why bother to tell people what the President of the United States actually said? The importance of the speech is this. It kicks off the campaign officially. So now we're into it. All right. I can't tell you who's going to win. I will be able to tell you the end of October, as I did four years ago. Uh, we have the best sources in the business, and I mean the best. So I'll know. But right now, oh, it's pretty tough because of COVID and the racial unrest. So the speech that Donald Trump gave was like the State of the Union speech. That's why I don't, I didn't give it an A or because it, it's the same thing as he did in the State of the Union. Here's what we did for you. All right. And then Ivanka did that too. And all right, okay. And I, I understand that the press is never going to report the good things that Donald Trump does. So he feels the need to go over it and over and over it. But you could have truncated it a little bit. The second major theme was that Joe Biden is a stooge for the far left. And that was far more interesting to me because I believe that could very well be true. And I acknowledge I could be wrong, but I don't think I am. I think the evidence thus far is that Joe Biden really doesn't have any core belief system. He wants power. Maybe if he got power, he wouldn't be a radical leftist. But right now, he certainly is playing into the radical left's vision. But back to uh, President Trump. So, so he, gets, he says, we're going to have a new spirit of unity. That's bull, uh, with all due respect. I mean, this is a divided country. And if Donald Trump is reelected on November 3rd, it's going to be remain divided. He's not going to unify anybody. It's a struggle between traditional Americans and the really confirmed liberals who feel that the country is not noble. So traditional noble, liberal, not noble. There's no middle ground there. Okay. And it's not going to unify it. So that was a bunch of bull. Um, then he goes into COVID and the only real important thing there, and he, you know, reiterated what he did and, and it's fine. Again, I don't, I don't mind that, but he said he promised a vaccine before the end of the year. The bull promise, I believe it'll happen, but again, I could be wrong. Now, um, he said, very early on that this is the most important election in American history. Not quite true. The Civil War, uh, Abraham Lincoln, first term election was the most important. And then, you know, there were a few that rivaled today. But in my lifetime, 
this is the most important election. Because again, you have a surge on the radical left. And it's, it's, it's sports, entertainment, press is corrupt, falling apart, all of that. And, you know, I don't believe that Joe Biden is capable of stopping the far left. And I've told you that. But I'll still cover the campaign fairly. But I don't believe he can do it or even wants to do it because you don't pick a Kamala Harris as VP if you want to stop the far left. She's the poster lady for it. All right, so then uh, Donald Trump goes into the socialist agenda will demolish the country. Very, very possible. You start to raise taxes on corporations, corporations are going to get out of here and go back overseas. And there's no law preventing that. You start raising taxes on affluent people, they'll get out of here. Look what's happening in New York. Millions of people are leaving the state. All right? Wealthy people have options. Um, Then he gets into the violence. The violent agitators threaten our citizens. Absolutely true. I used to live in Portland, Oregon, as many of you know. Beautiful town. Destroyed. Destroyed. By far-left governance. The governor, Kate Brown of Oregon, did nothing. This stupid mayor is beyond belief. Wheeler. And now every business in downtown Portland, out of there. They're done. Will it come back? Maybe, maybe not. I don't think for years. And now you have another go-around in Kenosha. And we'll talk about that next week. I want to get more data on that. All right? I'm, I'm still exploring that. But you, you see how the radical left seizes it. Oh, all the cops are bad. Oh, it's killing black men. That's all I want to do is kill black men. All right. Um, so then Donald Trump goes that um, the left sees the USA as a wicked nation. Far left does. Far left does. Um, wicked is a good word. They hate us. They hate me. Probably hate you. I mean, they hate. And that's wicked. Uh, Biden is a destroyer of American greatness. Well, we'd have to see. Certainly Joe Biden as a senator didn't do much. And as a vice president, I say to all my liberal friends, give me one thing, just one, that the Obama-Biden administration in eight years did to improve race relations in America. Give me one. Nobody can do it. The truth. Um, Then Trump got into, he said, and I didn't know this, and I'm going to check it, that his administration has deported 500,000 criminal aliens. Wow. I'm going to check that. I don't know if that's true. Um, He said he's done more for black Americans than anybody but Abraham Lincoln. FDR did more than Donald Trump for black Americans. Um, Lyndon Johnson did more. As much as Lyndon Johnson booted everything else, he did more. But that's the president's opinion. Um, ISIS, yes, absolutely, ran wild under Obama, Biden, ran wild, ISIS. And they had a very touching thing. They had... Uh, at the convention, uh, 
a couple whose daughter was killed by ISIS. And they came and they told about their daughter. Very moving. But uh, Trump has destroyed ISIS. I said that very early on. That's big. Do people in America care or, or does LeBron James care that America destroyed ISIS? I don't even think he knows. Maybe I'm being unfair fair to Mr. James, but it's pretty big. Um, Biden calamities. He says Biden's in China's pocket. I don't think that's true. I don't think Biden is a tough guy on China. I don't think Chinese control him. Um, China allowed COVID. To some extent, that's true. China virus. Um, and then he got into the economic recovery that uh, we're going to see after the vaccine comes, a surge. But under Biden, we would not see it. Um, if I had a bet on who was a better guy to have an economic surge, I would have to put my money on Trump. Other than Joe Biden, I think, I mean, I don't know who's betting Biden is going to surge the economy over Trump. Who's, if you know someone, send me their name and I'd like to talk to them. Um, late term abortion, you got into that, that nun uh, last night. I'm going to run it next week, her soundbite. It was pretty darn effective on late term abortion. Um, okay. Then he got into, and this is the defining issue for Donald Trump. This is the issue that will win him the election. That is the social disorder. Okay? The riots, the crime in the streets in New York and Chicago and other big cities. Social disorder may very well win Donald Trump the election. Keep your eye on Minnesota. Minnesota is now even. This is a traditionally liberal state. Walter Mondale, the only state he won was Minnesota when he ran against Reagan, all right? Primarily white state, dominated by Minneapolis-St. Paul, the Twin Cities. But everybody in Minnesota knows what's happening in the Twin Cities. And Trump is running even with Biden. Trump wins Minnesota. And now with Kenosha, Wisconsin, that's going to help Trump. And I hate to say it because you don't want some guy shot seven times all right, unless he had to be, and we still don't know that. All right, as I said, I'm going to report in a fair, methodical, and disciplined way on this next week. But we don't want tragedy, right, to be the decider. But Wisconsin, primarily white state, they're watching. In Kenosha, as buildings get set on fire without any kind of adjudication of what happened. Okay. So then Trump, and you know, I would have liked to have seen him cut the speech down and concentrate on this mob rule, because that's what we're seeing. And then he's pro-police. He brings in a, a murdered cop whose three kids were in the audience, and that he says police are noble, courageous, and honorable, the vast majority of them. Now, I believe the majority of American law enforcement is that. Vast majority, I'd say most police officers are good and want to do the right thing, but there's a reason there's an internal affairs division in every big city police department. We don't want to go too much. We want to say policing needs to be reformed. It does. 
and the FBI should be taking the lead in this. But I'll get into that next week, too. But to demonize the police, defund the police, all of this is insane. And New York City is the best example of how that is just destroying a city of eight and a half million. Seven and a half now, a million have taken off. And it'll be another million following them. Okay? That's how bad it is in New York City. Be glad you do not live here. Um, so the president concentrated on the mob rule thing. That resonates. All right? Then he said the Republican Party's the patriot party, the flag party. You stand up for your flag. Um, the radical, radical left comes after him. True. You got to understand that the, the New York Times and the Washington Post control a lot of the agenda here. And they're both far left papers now. All right. And they control a lot. They have an alliance with the Democratic Party and basically putting forth, we want socialism in this country. You know, I had an interesting debate with the urchins. I've been on vacation this week, as some of you know. And I had a bunch of high school kids around because my son is going to be a senior in high school. And uh, I'm going, hey, socialism or capitalism? And then, yeah, <laughs> I have to bring them along. So there was a little debate about it. And I said, think about this. In every socialist, communist country in the world, give me one thing that they've invented for the whole planet. Light bulb, car, plane, anything. Give me anything. Nobody could. Because there isn't anything. And I said, what is that? Why is Russia the biggest country in the world, or China the most populated country in the world? Both experienced communist areas. Why haven't they given anything to mankind? And the reason I told them, because they had no idea, was because individuals invent things. But if you do that in a communist socialist country, the government takes it away from you, appropriates it. Putin takes it right away from you. All right? The Chinese Politburo in Beijing, you're not going to get wealthy or anything from your invention. They don't do it. The vaccine's going to come from here or England, where there'll be a billion-dollar payoff. That's capitalism. Communism, nothing. Zero. So anyway, I'm, I'm sorry I diverted, but Trump made the point that this socialist thing, communist thing, remember, Bernie Sanders, Ocasio-Cortez, they're all involved with Biden. Biden hasn't repudiated any of this far-left garbage. And Trump's tying them into it more and more and more. It's a winner. It's not a big a winner as a social disorder. That's the big winner for Donald Trump. All right, now, maybe that will diminish. Uh, maybe COVID vaccine won't show up. And on November 3rd, we'll go to the polls with, you know, fear about a virus and then a bad feeling about race relations. That's not a good recipe. We got to be on the ascendancy for Trump to win. There's got to be an arc going up for him to win. If the arc is continuing going down, he'll lose. And you know me, I'm telling you the truth. I'm not, I'm not a hoper. I don't base my analysis on hope. Now, I told you very beginning, I can't vote for Biden. Though I'd have to write in somebody's name if I don't want to vote for Trump. Um, I know Trump very well. We'll see. 
but I, I got to do what's best for the country. All right. Um, Trump promises to, to um, create 10 million jobs. So Biden says he'll create 40 million jobs. I mean, this is blather. All right. Um, Joe Biden is weak. Uh, we'll see in a debate how weak he is. Uh, Trump pledges to hire more police. And this was the end. Here was the end. And this is one of the keys here. At the end of his speech, he reiterated the stuff he had done, but he mentioned something very briefly. He said that his administration is going to, quote, ensure equal justice. Impossible. Can't do it. But the fact that he mentioned it was kind of an olive branch to liberal people who are not crazy liberal, that he's aware that sometimes justice is not equal. And sometimes that's true for many, many reasons. If I get in trouble, I can afford a very expensive lawyer. If a poor person gets in trouble, they cannot. Same justice system. Now, that's a poverty-based thing, not a skin color-based thing, which you'll never hear from the left. They want to make it all about America's a horrid, wicked nation. Wicked is what Donald Trump said. Why they want to do it, I have no blanking clue, because America is the land of opportunity. That's why millions of people try to sneak in here. And Donald Trump did hit the immigration thing fairly hard saying that Biden would not enforce border. He wouldn't. You'd have many, many more uh, undocumented people coming into the United States if Biden's elected. There's no doubt about it. He's not going to enforce the border. He's going to give massive entitlements to everybody, including undocumented people. What are you going to do? That's what the Democratic Party does, because they get more votes that way. I've told you this, but this is a very—and Trump missed it. I mean, I know he sees my commentary, but he missed it tonight. The plan is to flood the United States with as many undocumented foreign nationals as possible and then give them amnesty, all of them. Biden would do that. And then fast track them to vote. Biden would do that. And that way you knock out the Republican Party in Florida and Texas, Arizona, states where there are a lot of foreign nationals that come. That is the ultimate plan. I've seen it with my own eyes. I've seen it because there are think tanks on K Street in Washington that work up these plans and they're paid by the Democratic Party. And there are think tanks that are paid by the Republican Party. Certainly the gun lobby throws an enormous amount of money at Republicans. And by the way, President Trump will defend the Second Amendment. Maybe he said that a number of times. We know that. So summing up, speech was too long. I gave it a B. Some of the points like mob rule, which are very, very important. And he hit cancel culture. He hit political correctness. That should have been more in the forefront than a lot of the self-serving stuff. Again, he's got to mention it. All right, I'm going to check out the 500,000 deportations. I don't know if that's true or not, but we'll have it for you next week. Um, But I, right now, after the two conventions, all right, so we're approaching September 1st on Tuesday. I'll be here Monday. Um, I think it's about even. I think it's about even. The polls are, you know, they're push polls. You're not going to get that. But you'll see it tightening. Keep your eye on Minnesota. 
Keep your eye on that. So all in all, tonight was a positive for Donald Trump. Convention was a positive for Republicans. How many people watched? You know, Fox got big ratings, as I told you they would, because Democrats aren't. Um, the media will rip Trump apart tomorrow. They'll just take it and rip it. But are you really watching that? I'm not watching it. I'm not. I'm disturbed about the athletes. I think the athletes need to bring it down a little bit. They're making a lot of mistakes in the way they present themselves. I don't mind protest. I told you, and I, and I firmly believe this, and we'll get into this on Monday. On Monday, I'm going to give you a, a belief system, my belief system, um, because I think I owe it to you to tell you where I'm coming from when I, when I analyze things. But I, I, I know a lot of African Americans, and I, and I respect their belief, men, much of it based on personal experience, that they're not treated the same way in our society that whites are. And uh, I think we can work on that. But you don't tear the nation apart. And you don't say, if you're African-American, you don't have a chance. That's bull. And you give kids grievance and they don't even try. That's destructive. You don't do any of that. But I think that uh, Donald Trump did say, we're gonna ensure equal justice. That was a signal. Knows it's stuff is taking place. Never had a perfect society, never. And now, whenever a black man or woman, but that's, you know, Breonna Taylor is an exception, not too common. But whenever uh, a black is killed by police, you're going to have this. No matter what, guy could have a bazooka shooting at police. You're still going to have it. Because the press will never report anything accurately. They sat on the George Floyd autopsy for two and a half months. Now, that, to me, that didn't didn't change my opinion of what happened. And again, we'll, we'll deal with all this next week. Um, so Donald Trump helped himself tonight. Republican convention was a success for him. Uh, Democratic convention was a success for Biden. But I think Trump comes out stronger if you compare the two. Thank you for uh, listening to this very special report. And I don't get overtime because <laughs> I run the company. But I, I wanted to do this. I wanted to keep everybody current. We're going to come back very strong on Monday with a belief manifesto of America, my belief manifesto. I want to see how much my belief system coincides with your belief system. So I hope you're here for that. We're going to open this up um, on BillOReilly.com. If you got friends that are not watching, please ask them to watch this. I think we have the best, smartest, and most fair analysis of this election, which is now officially underway. Talk to you on Monday. You can assume that Trump supporters despise Kamala Harris. That's how you say her name. Kamala, like comma. All right? You can just assume they despise her and vice versa, that anyone who would support the nomination of Senator Harris Anyone who would support that, who would like that, hates Trump and Pence because Senator Harris is the third most liberal senator on Capitol Hill, only behind Bernie Sanders, a self-admitted socialist, and Elizabeth Warren, who is a socialist but couches it, but she is.
So Kamala Harris is third. And therefore, when Joe Biden picked her as VP, it became the most liberal ticket in the history of this country. There is nobody even close. So if Americans want hardcore liberalism in charge of this country, then they will vote for the Biden-Harris ticket. It's as simple as that. Now, Donald Trump is not a doctrinaire conservative. He's all over the place. But he is primarily a man who is governing in a traditional way. So the status quo is okay with Donald Trump. He wants to get better deals, better economy, all of that, withdraw troops from abroad. But basically the status quo is what he's going to do. Not Biden and Harris. They're going to blow it all up if they get elected. So everything that you know today on August 12th will be changed this time next year if they win and the Democrats control the Senate and the House. Everything across the board. And that's what I'm going to tell you about. All right. So the most liberal ticket up to this point in the history of America was the McGovern Shriver ticket in 1972, which was defeated by Nixon and Agnew. And then Agnew was a corrupt guy and got booted out and Joe Ford took over, you know, the story. So let's get into uh, Miss Harris. Interesting woman. Skin color, it doesn't matter. This is not a skin color play. All right. She identifies as black. She went to Howard University. Fine. Her father um, was a Jamaican. Her mother is an Indian American, two immigrants. Okay. Uh, she was born Kamala Harris, Kamala Harris, on October 20th, 1964, in Oakland, California. So that would put her 56 years old this coming October. She had a very affluent upbringing. Her parents were professionals. They were immigrants to this country. They did very well. Okay. She was deprived of nothing. She wasn't the little girl looking out the window being bussed into a tough school. That's what she wants you to think. That's really not what happened. Yes, she was caught up in a busing. That's true. But this wasn't some kind of a ghetto situation where she was being bussed to better herself. No. She had two very professional and successful parents. Okay. So she gets, after she graduates from Howard, she comes back to California. And she gets involved in San Francisco politics. Now, back at that time, San Francisco wasn't what it is now. It was a functioning liberal city. Now it is a far left collapsing city. The power in San Francisco was Willie Brown, all right, who was the mayor there. He and Miss Harris had an affair, okay? And he mentored Senator Harris. All right. He guided her through the California political system and she was appointed to some commissions. She was the district attorney of San Francisco from 2004 to 2011. Then she was the California attorney general from 2011 to 17. Then she was elected senator. So standard issue machine politician. All right. Kamala Harris is a machine politician. She's not a populist. She's not a socialist. 
Not any of that. She's a machine politician. And the machine in California is far, far left. We all know that. That's who she is. So she decides after just being a senator for less than three years to run for president. She gets nowhere. She tops out at 15 percent support among Democrats in the primary system. The campaign was dull. She looked befuddled, not as befuddled as Mr. Biden, but confused. She changed her positions on a lot of different things. Really, nobody could get a handle on who she is. Her personal life is standard, right? She married to a lawyer um, who has, they don't have any children, but she has two stepchildren. The lawyer was married before. Nothing, you know, out of the ordinary. But she is a person who embraces San Francisco values, and that's very important to understand. So what the deuce are San Francisco values? Well, as I said on the radio this morning on the O'Reilly Update, and I hope you check that out uh, on BillOReilly.com. We post every day if you don't get it in your town. Here is the rundown of San Francisco values. Okay. Avoidance of religion, secularism rules, inclusion is everything, lax border enforcement, free citizenship, amnesty for all undocumented here, and a fast track to vote. That's very important. So if you give citizenship to all the undocumented in the United States, about 15 to 20 million people, and you fast track them to the vote, the Republican Party pretty much disappears. We become a one-party country, if that happens. No due process. This is my beef with Kamala Harris. She does not believe in due process. All accusations are convictions in her mind, and we'll prove that in a minute. Low crime enforcement. Now, from a DA and an attorney general, you know, I was going to incarcerate. She doesn't want to, you know, doesn't want to do any of that. Me too, absolutely. Political correctness, okay, fine. Uh, Green New Deal, we love it. These are all San Francisco values, and she's in 100%. There is nothing about Senator Harris that goes against the far-left orthodoxy. Nothing. She has no dissenting opinions. Now, why would Joe Biden, who has a record of being a moderate, he's not any longer, Joe Biden is what the far-left tells him to be. That's who he is now. now. Why would he select her. Why wouldn't he go for Amy Klobuchar or somebody a little bit more moderate, a little bit more experienced in the Senate? Remember, Kamala Harris never dealt with the other point of view. doesn't care. doesn't exist to her. If you're not far left, she doesn't even want to hear from you. Okay. Two reasons that Joe Biden selected um, Kamala Harris. Now, you'll hear from the right that Biden wasn't involved in a decision. They just told him what to do. That's not true. Biden was involved with the decision. There was debate in his crew. The older guys, like Chris Dodd, these people, didn't want Harris. But the younger people did, and the minorities did. They favored her. So she got it. She was chosen for one primary reason, to attack Donald Trump. She is considered the most vicious 
of all the Democratic politicians in contention for VP. Whitmer is pretty vicious in the governor of Michigan, but Whitmer isn't a person of color. So Harris basically checked off this box. So her job in the next two and a half months is to attack Trump in unprecedented ways. Remember, Donald Trump's still the president of the United States. Well, you're going to see going to be unbelievable. And the second reason she was chosen was because in response, it is difficult to kick back at Senator Harris. And when Trump does and the Trump supporters do, they will be branded racists and misogynists. That label, no matter what the counterattack is on Ms. Harris, racist, misogynist, and you say, anything negative about her, bring up her voting record, you say anything bad, that's what you are. Okay. Will it work? I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) Okay. Could. Possible. But I'm not voting for her or for Biden. I don't want the country demolished. And that's what they would do. Everything. You name it. It would be demolished. Little sisters of the poor don't want to pay for abortion pills. Little sisters of the poor pay. <laughs> All right. I mean, I, I'm just throwing that out of the wind. All right. My tax rate, about 50% now, 65, 70. That's where that's going. <laughs> Sorry. Now, you've heard me talk about white privilege, and this is going to lead into our uh, segment on the uh, Marxist. Black Lives Matter Global Foundation. So white privilege, I have never bought into. All right. I have always told you years. It's not true. What is true is economic privilege. And there's no doubt about that. If you have money or your family has money or you inherit money, you have privilege attached to that asset. It's all about money, not skin color. I've always said that it is harder for an African-American to pursue happiness in this country than a white American. That is true. Because there are bigots that play the skin color game. It doesn't matter they're on all sides because whites are the majority. So here on Long Island, where I lived for many, many years, if you were a upwardly mobile black family, there were certain neighborhoods you couldn't buy into. All right, I was wrong. And the reason was, as again, I write in the United States of Trump, because his father, Trump's father, was involved with this. Economic. That they thought if black families moved into certain neighborhoods, property values would go down. Okay? So... There is economic privilege, and it's a corrupter. How many rich people do you know? I know a lot. And some of them I like to slap upside the head because they're so arrogant. Why are you arrogant? Because you have money? You know it. It exists. Okay? But white skin color privilege is a myth. Enter 19-year-old Ray Aurora. This kid's a genius. He lives in Vancouver, Canada, and he's a writer. 
He sells his articles to a number of publications. So he researched white privilege. Ready? And again, it's always good to watch this broadcast with a pen and paper. He found out four things that just blow the white privilege theory out of the water. Number one, according to statistics from the U.S. Census Bureau, several minority groups in America out earn white people. They earn more money than white people. These are the groups. Ready? Pakistani Americans, Lebanese Americans, South African Americans, Filipino Americans, Sri Lankan Americans, and Iranian Americans. And the number one group in the United States for earnings, India, Indians. They earn more money than anyone else. None of those groups, except for South Africa, are white-based. None of them. Second, black immigrant groups have a median household income above the American average. Who are black immigrant groups? Nigerians, Barbadans, Ghanaians, Trinidadans. All have higher incomes than the average American. And because whites are more than blacks and Hispanics, that's the factor. Third, Nigerian Americans are one of the most educated groups in America, according to a study by Rice University. They only make up 1% of African Americans, Nigerians, 1%. Yet, they are represented at the Harvard Business School at a rate of 25% of black students. So no wonder they are out earning whites, Nigerian Americans. I didn't know any of this, and I know you didn't know any of it. And thanks to Ray Aurora, we now know it. And finally, 16 million white Americans, almost twice as many as black Americans, live in poverty. Now, that's a little skewed because... Black Americans are 13% of the population, and whites are 50-something, close to 60%. It's a little skewed, but it goes against, if you're white, you have privilege. Okay? That's what it goes against. So, the white privilege argument, this is why I'm even bothering with it. Kids hear this, black kids, and it builds in to their thinking process, they're immature, okay? But so are most adults, that they're victims. Because whites have privilege, they, the black kids, don't have privilege, and they can't succeed. They're victims of a biased system. And that creates grievance. Oh, I flunked because I'm black. Oh, you didn't hire me because I'm black. Oh, you were rude to me because I'm black and you have white privilege. Nobody has done this to me because they're afraid of me, but if anybody ever said to me, hey, O'Reilly, check your privilege, the mature O'Reilly would say, hey, why don't you take your stupid theory and whatever. I probably wouldn't use a, a euphemism, but I would state my objection. I grew up in Levittown, New York, as many of you know, 
it was a, it, you couldn't get more humble beginnings than that? I guess you could, but it would be hard. Okay, I didn't have any money, and nobody in the neighborhood had any money. That's why they were living in Levittown. My father bought the house for $8,000 in 1951. So this white privilege nonsense is corrosive to the country because it creates another generation of victims. The blacks grow up, not all of them, certainly not Nigerians, and they say, I can't make it. Why should I even try? Now, part of the dissemination of black propaganda or propaganda directed toward blacks is the Black Lives Matter Global Foundation. So in Milwaukee, the head of the crew there, Patrick Benjamin, recently wrote an article, June 21st, it said, Dear white people, if you have ever said any of these things, then you are part of the problem. And he lists the most absurd stuff, um, like everyone struggles, being white has never been one of those struggles, being poor is a struggle. It's just garbage. The article is just garbage. But the basic premise is that white people are oppressive. And that's what the Black Lives Matter Global Foundation sells. Skin color. Caucasian oppressive. One final note. Skin color should not be in any debate. And it is in the Washington Redskins, and we'll get to that in a little while. Should not be in any debate. Skin color does not matter. Martin Luther King Jr. said it best. It's the content of your character. Okay, this right here, it doesn't matter. And if you inject skin color in any way, shape, or form into the debate, you're going to be marked, number one, ostracized, and you'll lose the debate. You've got to really cut through this and get into education, get into the system in America that requires competition and how to compete. All right, here's the final thought of the day. Uh, put this uh, book cover up, please. Um, in Russia, they have just released Killing Jesus. I, am, I hope Putin is reading it. There's the cover. So if you go to Moscow or St. Petersburg or Siberia, you will see this in the bookstore. That says Killing Jesus, the historical account of Jesus of Nazareth. It is everywhere on this planet. Russia. Interesting cover, right? I had the cross, the T-cross, in the American version, as you may know. So we are flattered. We are happy. That was the hardest book I ever had to write, Martin Dugard and I, because see, it's all history. No religion. We had to ferret it out. But I love all the killing books. Everybody goes, what's your favorite? I don't have a favorite. All right. I love them all. And they're all fun to read. And I hope you will read them all. And the best way to do that is become a lifetime premium member and you get them all free. Have a great weekend. We'll see you soon.